OT Geniuses. My name is Jessica Lopez Hermanton, and I am the creator and founder of OT Genius. And you're listening to Pre-OT Secrets. On this show, we talk about how to get into occupational therapy school, how to do it in the most financially savvy way. And we also dive into the stories of pre-OTs, current OT professionals and students to learn how they got in and what their experiences were like. And so we're here to inspire, motivate, and encourage you throughout your OT journey and show you how you can be a successful OT school applicant and become the OT that you want to be. Now, on to the show. What is up, OT Geniuses? Welcome to another episode of Pre-OT Secrets. We have Dr. Diamond back, and we were in part just talking about what is a doula and how she became a, a doula and is integrating that with her occupational therapy doctorate and background that she has. So we're going to be diving in a little bit deeper, though, into just her story and what she does and what she doesn't like about it and what she wishes maybe would be different and what are the good things and things to consider and all that good stuff. So Dr. Diamond, welcome back. I am so glad to have you on again on another episode with Pre-OT Secrets. And I'm just really grateful to have you on. So I guess I'll, we'll just talk the bat and just, so we talk about what led you to become a doula and how you kind of integrate it. You can integrate it with occupational therapy and how it can be combined. How, um, I guess, like, how are you doing that today? Like, do you, are you helping birthing parents now? Or are you in the process of that? Like, what is that looking like for you? Like, where are you in your uh, and OT journey today? Yes. So it looks like a lot of, a couple of different areas. So I am not currently supporting any birth doula clients, but I am working towards my postpartum doula certification. And I can dive into that a little bit more about why. So day to day, I work within outpatient pediatrics and an early intervention as well. And so I use my birth training. And then I'm also certified in postpartum mental health through Postpartum Support International. And so I use that within both settings to inform how I support infant mental health, co-regulation with parents, how they can, how we can collaborate on lifestyle changes, whether that is increased support or environmental changes in their, in their home to help them better be able to do, uh, like we mentioned in the previous episode about child rearing. How can they help with household management? How can they adapt for child rearing so that it is better basically for their mental health, better for, for their quality of life? It can be a really tough time, especially with transitioning back to work or trans- transitioning back to school after mm-hmm. having a baby. So yeah. keeping those things in mind, especially if a child is either having some concerns or developmental delays that can add an extra layer on it as well. So within a clinical setting, I look at mental health and co-regulation within, um, within that um, mother-baby or parent-baby diet. And then typically what I do um, afterward is I also run or co-run with a mental health therapist 
um, again, through Postpartum Support International, which are pregnancy and postpartum support groups. So that's when I use my informational support as a doula um, to inform or just help guide parents through different points throughout pregnancy. So feeling the baby kick or feeling anxiety about what's going to happen postpartum. Will they have to have a C-section? Um, having information mm-hmm. about that C-section, having to deal with the blood sugar and asking questions about the gestational diabetes, things like that. We dive into those topics together and then they also have support from other moms as well or other birthing parents or because it's pregnancy and postpartum, we have some parents on there who already have been through it. And so they can also provide some wisdom on that. So they get some feedback from mental health therapists, from an OT and a doula, and then from other parents as well. So that's the second part. The third part is I also run Amira's Mamas, which is a care package service. So that dives into the occupation of self-care and also helping mothers of color see that representation when they're going through their pregnancy and postpartum journey. And so it has mental health support and informational support and just cute items, cute comfort items that are also practical for diving into that self-care and where they can see themselves within motherhood and within parenthood. And just also just things that parents have said before that help with postpartum. So having a period bottle, um, something to help with hygiene after having a baby and having those lactation aids to help with breastfeeding. So having those things put together and that's that's a way that I can help parents all around the country, not just in my area. So we have in the clinical setting, in online virtual setting, and then in the whole community. So we have all those three things put together. I just love the way that you're thinking. And I just, guys, if you're listening to this and you're a future OT, so pre-OT, OT student, she, I think she just said something that was so critical. She's thinking big scale, all right? And if it's one thing that has, I've learned, is that you want to not just limit yourself to the people in your area. You know, so she's thinking bigger, all right? She's thinking, um, how, what can I do? to help people regard like you know regardless of where they are and have access to my services or my help or my ideas that can benefit them as a future parent or somebody that's getting ready to give birth and things of that nature so that is just amazing and I encourage you guys to think that way like just think big all right I think the occupational therapy profession needs people who are creative people who are not just going to be afraid to push against the grain, so to speak. And not that there's anything in a traditional nine to five therapist, but yeah, that are, they're going to want to do bigger things. I think that that shows leadership. I think that that shows creativity. So I think that that's amazing. And I just wanted to put there. So yeah, that's awesome, Dr. Diamond. And could you tell us a little bit? I'm curious because I, even as an occupational therapy, I have an occupational therapist, I have not really had the experience to see this firsthand or had a field work in postpartum mental health, any of that, you know, so um, do I know that we can dive into that as an occupational therapist? Yes, of course, I do know that. But what would a treatment session look like? Like, what does a regular treatment session look like for somebody like that, for somebody that you're trying to help that is dealing with, I guess, I don't know if you want to pick a particular type of 
issue that you have, like maybe the anxiety or things of that nature. But what does what would a treatment plan or a treatment look like? Yeah. So with that question, that is where it's important to have the training because I am not going to act in the role of uh, a mental health therapist. And so mm-hmm. a lot of it within that treatment session is informational support mm-hmm. and a lot of reflection, a lot of mm-hmm. listening and gathering resources at the same time, depending on how, what the parent says and how they respond. So I'll give an example, just, just in general, let's say a parent has is having some thoughts of some intrusive thoughts, some obsessive com- thoughts where you think, okay, this might be OCD or this might be anxiety and asking more, more of those questions like postpartum anxiety. And so like if I'm in the early intervention setting and I'm also working with the baby, asking questions about, okay, well, what do you do when you have these thoughts? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what happens after you have those thoughts. Are you redirecting them? Are you affirming them? And some parents might say, oh, no, I understand it's intrusive thought. And I just, you know, take extra measures to make sure that, like, that doesn't happen. Like, for example, if they say, oh, well, you know, I, I always feel like, you know, when I take a shower that the oldest child is going to come in and they're going to get into the bath with me or something like that. And something's going to happen to them. And so going through those, those thoughts, so that's, I have the door locked or there's someone watching them. So they will be okay. And, you know, I trust my partner to take care of my children, things like that. So going through those thoughts together, and if it's something where it's harder to redirect, or if it's an area where it feels like it's a little bit more than just intrusive thoughts that they can, you know, that just is there's some things that are parent parental concerns and there's other areas that can come off where you're like okay this is a concern where you might need more mental health support besides just occupational therapy besides just mm-hmm. cognitive behavioral techniques or redirection or environmental changes or additional support so how can we get you a support plan and how can I during this session connect you with someone that is in my my book of resources, someone that I trust in the community that I know is going to take care of this parent for if they need additional support. So that's what it so that's what it looks like. A lot of it's just me understanding my role as an OT. So how can mm-hmm. I help them with those um those occupations of child rearing? How can I support them if they have anxiety with changing their environment, whether that is additional support from a partner, from family members, friends, from a maternal health support group? How can I change their environment to support that? How can I help them with different techniques for, for self-care as far as coming up with ideas for that? If it's journaling, it's okay. I'm going to change my schedule up differently so I can better support my mental health. Come up with those ideas together. And then also realizing, you know, if there's additional concerns where it seems like I'm just screening. I'm not diagnosing anything. They might need to go to someone who can diagnose or can support with a more focused lens from psychology. Then I will refer out. So it's just that balance. Very, very cool. Very, very cool. Thank you for sharing that. 
And I'm a pediatric occupational therapist right now, too. And I have experience in outpatient orthopedics as just working with, with adults. So I've, I've kind of worked with a variety of people. And I just kind of want to ask you, because I think this is something that's not talked about. And I think it's up to the future generation, us currently, right, that are already in the field to start making this. And the option of child rearing, right, in terms of of even as, as far as that goes, I've seen as a pediatric occupational therapist, parents go through a lot of things in terms of their mental health. They don't know how to cope with it. They don't know how to even manage certain intrusive thoughts and things of that nature. And so I think you're bringing up a really, really good point. And I'm just curious, what do you think are some things that we can do as occupational therapists to support that we do see, you know, well, I mean, the, we see the children and they're the priority. They're the, you know, we're billing for CPT codes and stuff like that for what we're doing with the child. But at the end of the day too, it's, you know, what we do with the child is also in conjunction to with the parent because it comes all together. Right. And we need to see if the, basically is the, 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 does the parent who need some sort of additional support? So what do you think that that could look like as pediatric therapists for, for us? Like, what do you think are some ways that we can support the parents of the GC? Yeah. So I think one thing that we can do directly within the session is have more opportunities for parent guided intervention. So us explaining the intervention and, using that as an opportunity for shared joy and shared connection. Recently, I went to a maternal health summit and one thing that we talked about was that self-care doesn't always come independently or doesn't always come individually, right? And sometimes you have to have your kids with you. And so how can you focus on yourself with your kids along. So is that a dance party? Is that going on a walk together? Is that engaging in a food that you love and sharing that with with the child? So keeping those things in mind on how can I address a co-occupation with this parent that's going to bring along that shared joy and that comfort and that's hopefully something that they can carry over at home. So for example, a caregiver's favorite song and you're using that to work on motor coordination with the child, but you're also bringing on that shared joy for that parent and they can use that at home because now it's it's not an extra, it's not an extra homework assignment. It's not a home program assignment. It's something that they enjoy doing and it benefits both of them. So looking at that within treatment, outside of treatment, what I would love to see in the future, and I've only seen a few times just being out in clinical practice, is having more time for parents to step out of the session and have parent support from a mental health therapist, whether that is a psychologist or a therapist that comes in once a week, you know, twice a month, something that they can have that's just for them so they can get those frustrations out. They need it, you know, and I I mean, (laughs) I, for example, even have one parent that she uses, and I know she's just said it to me, you know, she's like, I use this time for me. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Play with my child. I'm going to be out there and I decompress because it's what I need right now, you know? And like, I, it, it just shows too, like the, and then there's the opposite, right? That they are 
really wanting to see what's going on in the therapy and what are they doing and then you know it just depends on the parent and I guess it's just we need to see where the parent is at and I think just acknowledge that if the parent just needs I think that time even use therapy time as a moment for them to take that moment of self-reflection and breathe and even just have an hour, you know, away. I think that that also can be good, I I think. And then also if the parent is just the type that, oh, I I, I am really super involved. What are you doing with my time in therapy? Can I attend this? You also have those parents that they like want to be inside the session with you. (laughs) And so, yeah, I think parent guided activities and just seeing where the parent is at and getting added support, referring out is just so, so key. And so, yeah, this show is called Pre-OT Secrets. So it would not be Pre-OT Secrets if I did not ask you this. What advice do you have for pre-occupational therapy students looking into this profession? Uh, A secret, a secret. So, (laughs) (laughs) So I would say... There is so much power in technology and social media. It it has its cons, but definitely has its pros. And so just having the ability to hear different perspectives from OTs, I wish I had been able to talk to multiple OTs about their profession before I started OT school. Oh my gosh. And okay, look, it's, I've said it in a prior episode, it is not for nothing. It is not because I'm not saying this because, oh, it's Jessica runs OT Genius or whatever. It's I created this platform because I truly wish that I would have something like this when I was a preoccupational therapy student. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're bringing on people like Dr. Diamond. And that's why we have the Road to Accepted program as well. And so, yeah, guys, talk to as many occupational therapists as you can. There are resources out there for you. And if you are wanting to just see how, like, you know, and start making those connections, if you are struggling with that, then I think you should look into the Rosewood Epic program because that's what just our focus is. So thank you for just uh, bringing that part up. Anything else that you would want to add or or say to the future of our profession? (laughs) (laughs) Um, yes, I would. Okay, so the last thing I would say is one typical requirement to apply for OT school is having those OT shadowing hours where you get to shadow an OT. But I will also say if you can dive into some volunteer experience where you are able to connect with families and caregivers and those in the community that are directly involved with those either disabled populations or those that benefit from OT services typically, because when you get into OT school, what you read in the textbook is people that are segmented, case studies are segmented. And when you get out in the community, what you see are people that are whole and intersectional and they have overlapping identities and just mm-hmm. understanding. And when you have the understanding, it's just going to help you so much in the future. Like just understanding like, okay, you might learn about a child that has a disability, but 
in OT school, for me, I didn't learn about, you know, how to support a caregiver who is disabled and taking care of, the, of a disabled child. Like those intersections didn't come together. And so if you're able to volunteer or um, work with a community organization where you can just, you can learn and support people where they are and understand like how different communities intersect in that way, I think that would really inform how you are as an OT student and how you are as mm-hmm. an OT professional in the future. Guys, I don't know. Like that seriously is deep. I don't know if you guys took it as deep, but I'm telling you as a fellow OT, that is deep. All right. And she's not just to say, um, you know, we were earlier talking about the intersectionality of kids and their parents and how they take and do certain things and things of that nature. But even like guys, is talk to people. It's not just about the child that's being treated, right? If you're, uh, you know, talk talk to the parents, talk to the siblings. I never personally even thought about that intersectionality until really I already was in OT school. And I was talking to, for example, another OT friend of mine who has a brother with disability and um, things of that nature, and you see how it impacts them, and you see how everything is interrelated. You see and you hear the things that they're saying, like, oh my gosh, am I going to have to be the one that's going to care for my brother when, I, you know, or what is that going to look? You find out so many things, and you see, can you can see maybe where some of the gaps are, and what you can do to possibly support them or refer out to in order for them to get the help that they need. Um, so it really is the volunteer and get exposure and keep an ear out, like actually be intentional about the listening. Like in OT school, they push so much the whole idea of, of active listening. And if it's not, it may sound cliche to some people, but it's not. You know, like it's you picking up on certain things because you're actively listening and that's what's going to allow you to better help the people that you're dealing with. It's not just the patient, it's their families. All right. And Start that's... learning. Yeah, go, go, go ahead. All right. I was like, no, you please, please, please. Saying, just resonated so much, just the listening part, because we're in the healthcare setting and you have these intersecting identities where race is a factor, racialized populations, Mm -hmm. gender identity, sexual orientation, all these things overlap and intersect together and influence how a patient, a caregiver, how a family perceives the healthcare setting and how they perceive occupational therapy. So like Mm. you said, that listening is key. It is actively listening is so important and not just going through the motions and going through the framework and the models, but really attending and listening to who's in front of us. That is really, really good stuff. Um, Well, I want to just thank you for your time and for being on here. I think that this was a very impactful episode that has really shown, I think, what OT really is kind of even about. And I think it's a, you know, if if this episode didn't show you how you're differentiated from physical therapy, I think this is a, this is a really good episode just for that. So, (laughs) because, um, yeah, we talked so much just about the the mental health aspect and all the intersectionality and things of that nature and just how everything just correlates. So I just want to thank you so much for being on. 
and I am sure this is not going to be the last time that we talk. So I hope you have a great rest of your day, Dr. Diamond. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me and taking time out of your day to listen. We hope that this has been of value to you and will get you one step closer towards becoming the OT that you want to be. One of the biggest problems I see is that pre-OTs, they try to do things alone. They do things in isolation and the connections that they have are minimal for many reasons. But we are changing that here at OT Genius and focusing instead on building a community for pre-OTs for them to have their first OT family and meet other pre-OTs current OT students and clinicians. To be a part of that awesome community, you can subscribe to our membership by going to otgenius.com. Just go to the tab, get me into OT school on the homepage and you can join our awesome community there. You can also find our social medias and ways to get in touch with us on the website. So thank you again and see you in the next one.